Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. back with the women's football podcast and this week i am joined by our own alejandro diago how are things parthens angelina everything good here how are you doing i'm doing all right considering man united did not have the best weekend but we move it's all good <laughs> um, and i am also joined. real madrid didn't have also the best weekend to be honest so true you know what we're in the same boat aren't we i guess um and also joining me is give me sport women's nancy gillen how are things for you nancy I'm good, thanks. And I mean, as an Arsenal fan, I probably had the best weekend ever. So <laughs> I was going to say, you're the only one with something to actually celebrate this weekend. Yeah. I mean, let's chat about Arsenal. Um, you know, they got that brilliant win over Manchester City. Nancy, is it crazy to consider Arsenal as women's Super League favourites or at least in the mix to lift that trophy based on their performance, you know, based on these performances, you know, it's what I'm trying to say is, is it crazy or is it completely plausible? Because at the end of the day, they've had some pretty decent performances. Well, yeah, obviously I'm a bit biased, but um, I don't I don't think it's crazy at all. Um, I mean, beating Chelsea and City, who before the season starts started, you would have said Chelsea was the out-and-out favourites and then City was probably second. Um, so to beat both teams and, like, wow, was what, you know... Man City was 5-0 win and then um, the Chelsea game, we were more or less dominant. Um, obviously, it was a bit closer. But I think those performances suggest that, you know, if Arsenal can beat the two best teams in the league, then there's no reason why they can't go all the way and win the title. Um, but of course, um, I think, you know, especially Chelsea, I don't think you can rule Chelsea out from being absolute favourites, uh, just given their performance last year and the depth they have in the squad as well. But yeah, no. At this stage, I think it's for Arsenal to be title for, among the title favourites. Definitely not crazy to say that. No, I agree with you. I think that um, that that yeah, definitely you sh- they should be considered. Why not? Um, now, Alejandro, um, who was your player of the match? Because there were some very good performances, weren't there? Yeah, but I I need to choose Bibi and Midema really without any doubt. And to be honest, I was a bit sceptical about Arsenal's chances for this season because at the beginning of the season when we made the predictions, I was saying that I didn't see Arsenal fighting for the top three. But really, after watching Midemann in this uh, starting of, of campaign, it's uh, Midemann, she's been the Francis player of this Arsenal and now they are a huge candidate to win the title. So I think that uh, having the Dutch player at, the, at, the, at this level is going to boost Arsenal so much. I completely agree. And I, th- I think, you know, Arsenal fans aside, I think a few of us were a bit sceptical because, you know, they've got this new manager and, and all these things. Um, but, you know, things are going well. And I, I just, I really hope it, it continues. And I mean, to have already got two huge victories like that, it is impressive. Now, of course, for Manchester City, Dancy, it has gone from bad to worse, really. Now, will their recovery or bounce back, etc., is this going to be the moment that will truly demonstrate if this is a team that can compete, um, you know, and be in the running four trophies? Yeah, I think, you know, a, a big thing about like title-winning teams is resilience and whether they can, you know, they can shift their mentality for obviously having a bit of a bad run. And for Man City as well, this is a really bad run. Like, they're not used to losing 
consecutive matches or losing matches 5-0. So, you know, they're going to have to be able to shift their mentality. So I think if they do turn this around and, and they kind of, you know, manage to, to go on a run of uh, winning matches, it does show that they have the the potential to, to win trophies. Yeah. And, and then also, I think their injury list as well, I think once they get all of those players back, I think they're probably be in contention again. So I think they they'd be looking to that to to help them kind of get back up the table again. Yeah, definitely. I think you know we do have to you know do a little bit of a shout out to the injuries. They do have um, you know some big names missing, and I'm sure that definitely does play a role. Now, this was City's biggest defeat as a professional team. Alejandro, if they can't bounce back, do you think there could be a change in the dugout? Uh, really, I don't know if it's necessary nowadays a change in the dugout for Manchester City, but what is sure is that the team cannot continue like this, really. Apart of the bad results and the not qualification to the Champions League, this team is showing sensations that they are in the best for a team like this and built for, uh, for big things, so something needs to be done soon. And I don't know if the time of Gareth Taylor is over, but maybe, maybe, maybe Man City should move somewhere because they cannot extend with this all the season. True, there definitely has to be a change, um, and you know, as we touched on, maybe the injuries could change things. But you know, Gareth Taylor himself has said that it's too early to rule them out of the title race. Nancy, is that a fair comment? Because you know, we're only a few games into the league. Like we said, there are injuries, etc. I do think it is probably a bit too early um, because it's only been uh, three games so far um, and I think there's about 20 left. So, um, you know, and, and City still, well, they've still got one game against Arsenal and then two matches against Chelsea left to play as well. So say if they beat Chelsea twice, then everything completely changes. Um, and yeah, again, I think the injuries, as soon as they have players like Lucy Bronze, uh, Chloe Kelly back, um, I think that will kind of give them, you know, like kind of their old mojo back as well. And, and seeing as there are so many games left, they've got time to turn it around. So I reckon, I think it is too early to rule them out of the title race, definitely. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, it, it is too early. I mean, it, it is, you know, some some big results that they've missed out on some big points. But yeah, I think on the whole, it probably is a little bit too soon. Now, Tobin Heath came on for Arsenal. Considering how much success Arsenal have already had without Heath, Alejandro, are you excited to see how she can basically further enhance this side? Uh, for sure, really. If I said before that, that this Arsenal was going to be an important contender to the title, uh, having Tobin Heath on the squad makes them even more important because now we are talking about a team that is, it is balanced in all pos the positions on the pitch. And having a player like Tobin Heath makes the Gunners a very important candidate. So really, all the all the importance that they can, all the important players that they can arrive and they can give some things to Arsenal, they are key to this success of the season. They really are, and I mean, looking at that Arsenal team, it looks pretty impressive indeed. Now, meanwhile, in Manchester, of course, the Red Devils faced. Um, Hang on, I've put Arsenal here and it's not, it's Chelsea. What's wrong with me? Sorry, I'll redo that again. Um, meanwhile, in Manchester, Manchester United lost 6-1 to a brilliant Chelsea side. 
I was in attendance at the game and was not best pleased. But you know what? It was a great performance from Chelsea. Now, Emma Hayes has said that she didn't think her side were very good. Um, but then has also said that this season her team are miles better. I would hate to see how they would have performed if she thought they were very good. A, a bit confusing for me. Um, now, Nancy, do you understand some of her criticism sometimes or do you think she can be a little bit harsh or is that just, you know, how she is that she wants this team to be the best that they can be? Or do you think sometimes if you beat Man United 6-1, you know, just sit back and say, yeah, I'm buzzing? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it is does seem quite harsh. I think if I was one of the players who'd been part of that result, I would have been maybe a bit annoyed that I hadn't I'd be got fuming. more credit. Yeah, I mean, especially like a team like Man U as well, they're not, you know, they're, they are a good team. So to beat them so it was such a big victory. Um, yeah, but, I, I, you know, I think it just shows Emma Hayes' standards. Um, she just asks a lot from her players. Um, and obviously it has worked because they've they've done so well, kind of, you know, winning the, the league last season and re- reaching the Champions League final. So... Yeah, I, obviously there's kind of method in her madness. Um, and yeah, I think if I if I was one of the teams who were coming up against Chelsea in the coming weeks and thinking, oh yeah, they're beating Man U 6-1 and they're not, not playing well, like what could they do to us? So yeah, it's, it's uh, quite ominous really, isn't it? Yeah, I think they definitely sent a message. I mean, Alejandro, who was your player of the match? Because obviously, you know, Emma Hayes did make some changes towards the end of the game and brought basically another load of attackers in that could have easily been in the starting eleven. Fran Kirby got that brilliant 50th Women's Super League goal. That was a massive achievement. Penila Harder scored a brilliant goal. So who stood out for you? I'll say Sanke, really. She's back on track and she wants to take her revenge from the last season. Uh, we are seeing that the Australian striker, she wants to make the difference on the pitch and go over the record from last year. And with performances like, like the ones he did uh, against Manchester United, uh, I think it seems she's on, on the way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, going into this game... It was a must-win for Chelsea, you know, after the Arsenal defeat. Nancy, do you think that was playing on their minds and maybe why they seemed so determined? And also, I just wanted to touch on with you as well, you know, what you thought of a Fran Kirby hitting, you know, that landmark 50th goal. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they definitely probably had a point to prove. Um, I mean, losing on the opening day of the season of their title defence, I think would have been really, really disappointing. Um, so I think, yeah, they, they definitely needed to come out with a big victory like this to, to kind of, you know, almost warn the rest of the league and warn Arsenal. Like, obviously, Arsenal won 5-0, but Chelsea can do the same. Um, so, yeah, I think it's uh, def- they definitely had a point to prove. And, yeah, for, I mean, Frank Kirby, I think, uh, yeah, just amazing for her to get to reach that milestone. And I think she's just a great player and has come back, obviously had the season before last where she was ill for a while and kind of had that time out and there's, seems to have come back even better. Um, and I mean, Chelsea, if she stays at Chelsea, she, you know, she's such an asset to their team because she's she scores goals, but she's also such a great attacking player, you know, on the wing and creating goals and just, yeah. So I'm, I'm jealous they have her because I, I would love a player like Frank Kirby at Arsenal. I think we'd all love a player like Frank Kirby flipping. I mean, oh... Imagine, anyway. <laughs> now, for Chelsea, I think, you know, watching them, they just look like a well-oiled machine. You know, Hayes really did get it right, and it was a masterclass, especially 
looking at the quality of some of the goals, right, Alejandro? Uh, really, we'll need to wait some time to see this Chelsea work as a perfect machine. But after the first the first match days, I think they are on the right path, really. Mm. Emma Hayes has made the necessary checkups after the last season, and this team will change in the league this year. And really, along with Arsenal, we will see a beautiful battle for the title. We will, and it, it's going to be very exciting. And I think it's going to be, if it could even be tighter than it was last season, I, th- I think it is going to be now. For Manchester United, obviously, you know, going into the game, you know, as a United fan, I wasn't expecting United were going to win 6-1. Um, but I was I was hoping for a little bit more from my team. But, Nancy, do you think that this was, you know, maybe a humbling experience for Man United? Because, you know, for me, as much as I am a Man United fan, I do feel like it's kind of been... Not an easy ride, but it's just been, you know, they've created this team, you know, they got promoted into the Women's Super League, you know, they had these great players, they had a great manager and things were bobbing along nicely and then all of a sudden they've had this kind of shock to the system like, no, 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 it's not that easy to be at the top, like, you know, and they have had setbacks and do you think that this will maybe make some people realise that there is still work to be done regarding them getting to that next level? I think so, yeah. I mean, they had a good start to the season previous to to the Chelsea result, um, and it shows that you know Casey Stoney wasn't the be all and end all. Um, they've started quite well under Mark Skinner, um, but yeah, I think obviously, lot it was the same last season and this season. It was kind of the discussion around Man U qualifying for the Champions League, which would mean them finishing in the top three and either finishing above of um, City, Chelsea or Arsenal. So I think the result, you know, the fact that they lost to Chelsea but lost by such a big scoreline shows that there is, yeah, definitely still a lot of work to do for them to kind of be beating those teams regularly enough to then finish in a Champions League place. Um, So, yeah, I I think even though obviously it would be quite a hard result to take, maybe this will kind of be a bit of a not a lesson, but maybe a, a turning point where, you know, the players and the club realise what there is still to do to to get the club to the next level and, and maybe it will help in that, that journey. Yeah, but I agree and definitely, you know, the powers that be um, at Man United, maybe it will make them realise, which I think is definitely needed. Now, of course, you know, Mark's going to brought on um, Alessia Russo at halftime. She did make an impact and they did have some good moments of football. Obviously, they did get a goal. They came close, you know, a few more times. Alejandro, is that a small positive for United to at least take away that, you know, he identified one issue and, you know, try to make some kind of change and perhaps... Maybe I'm grasping at straws a little bit, but had they have managed to avoid some of their defensive errors, maybe it wouldn't have been as big of an embarrassing defeat. Uh, let's say one thing. The positive side of this defeat is that the game was over and they were only six goals, but really there is <laughs> lots. <laughs> no, I, I mean because the, the positive side of this one this thing is that the finally the game was over, but really... There is many work to do in Manchester United for this season. Uh, we are seeing that the defensive errors, they can they can cost you everything in the league and even more if you have Chelsea in front of you. Uh, you uh, also, Alessia Russo can come 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 into the in, at the halftime to, and it made a change in the way United was playing. But the thing is that one player can stand a whole team and when you are facing a team like Chelsea, 
you need to have more strength and more and more toughness. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, of course, Man United have, you know, a, a bit of a run of games. You know, they've got Birmingham City, then the Manchester Derby, Durham um, in the Cup, Spurs, Everton, Man City in the Cup, then Arsenal, you know, over the next two months, more or less. Nancy, do you think that, because, you know, you, you, like you touched on, before this Chelsea defeat, you know, they did have a good start and they do have some good players. Do you think that rather than, you know, maybe fans like me jumping to conclusions that like, right, it's over, they're done, you know, they're, they're not going to play to the top three, it's, it's completely and utterly game over. Do you think that maybe after that intense period of some big games that maybe then we will at least have a clearer idea of just what this team is capable of perhaps? Yeah, I mean, like you said, there's some massive games in there. So Man City twice, uh, one in the league, one in the cup, and then Arsenal as well. So if, yeah, if Man U wanted to be finishing in that top three, they need to be getting results against City and Arsenal. Um, Spurs as well is weirdly now a, a massive game. Yeah. Because obviously Spurs have started really well this season. And I think United will be looking at them and thinking that's that's the team that we could, you know, it's, it's definitely more achievable beating than City and Arsenal so they'll be hoping to get three points from that from that match as well um, and yeah I think because of of the kind of the where the teams that they're playing in the next few weeks where they are in the table it gives Man U a real chance to kind of leapfrog some teams um, especially Man City as well obviously that's only in kind of a few weeks times so if City continue with this run of poor form then it, it could be a chance for Man U to kind of leapfrog City and maybe take their spot in the top three so yeah I, I, I definitely agree that um, I would yeah just wait a couple of months and then take stock maybe around Christmas and, and assess then whether Man U are going to be able to get that Champions League place or not yeah, that's making me feel a little bit better. Wait till Christmas and then decide if I'm going to go into crisis mode. <laughs> now, of course, there are some cup games and some games across Europe taking place midweek. If people are wondering why we're not talking about them, it's because they've not happened whilst we are recording. But I'm sure we'll chat about any of the big ones next week. Now, you mentioned Spurs there, Nancy. You know, like Chelsea, they remain unbeaten. They got a 1-0 win over Reading on an 85th minute goal. Now, last season, this was the type of game, really, that maybe would have ended, you know, like nil-nil for Spurs. But new lone player Tang Jelly came on as a sub and made the difference to help Jessica Naz, who we've spoken about on the podcast before as being, you know, one of their most exciting young talents. You know, it helped her find the back of the net. Alejandro, does this just show that there actually has been, you know, some clear improvement from Spurs, you know, to be sat you know, level on points with Arsenal, they're scoring goals that maybe they wouldn't have scored last season. So far, so good, right? Yeah, really, the improvement of the Spurs from the last season to this one is clear. We are watching a stronger team in defence, a more a tough, a tougher team, and we are seeing a team that is competing until the last minute in the, in the last, in, in every game. Uh, talking about fighting Arsenal face to face, it's another level, and it's uh, and it's an, an, another topic. But that maybe some in in some months we can speak about it. But Spurs are on its way, and that is a wonderful that is wonderful news for the women's Super League. It really is. Now, of course, you know, like I say, they they beat Reading, who managed a solitary shot on target. They remain winless, pointless after three games. 
Nancy, are you worried or is it too early to tell? Um, I think slightly worried. Um, I'm quite surprised that they haven't picked up a point. Um, I think kind of at the start of the season, I saw them as a kind of a mid-table team. Um, and I think if you looked at their three opening fixtures, um, they probably would have predicted that they would have got four or like four to six points probably. I think maybe they would have thought we could probably maybe draw against Man U and, and beat Spurs. Um, obviously, I think Arsenal, they probably saw that as maybe a bit too far. So I think to have only to have got no points out of those three fixtures, I think would have concerned them a little bit. Um, I mean, yeah, it's just going to have be a case of seeing how they do in the next few weeks. And if it stays like this, they're going to have to take some drastic change. Otherwise, they're going to probably find themselves in a relegation battle. Yeah, possibly. I mean, it was, you know, fingers crossed for Reading, but I mean, all in all, just as a football fan, it was a brilliant um, weekend of football in the Women's Super League and just another brilliant advertisement, you know, for the sport in general. And I was back in England um, for the first time since this season began and it was great um, actually to see, obviously I knew about, you know, BBC, Sky Sports and all of the coverage, etc. Um, but even just flicking through the TV guide on my uh, on my television, it was great to see how many games, you know, I'm switching between Arsenal and Man City, uh, PSG and Paris FC. It was just great. And um, yeah, it's it's a good time to be watching women's football now. Over in Spain, of course, Real Madrid faced Granadilla Tenerife at the weekend. Only managed to get a draw. Of course, they are playing in the week. We don't know the result of that game. Hopefully, it's a win. Alejandro, stupid question, but how were you feeling after that um, Tenerife game? It's a situation to worry about, really. Real mm. has only got one point from the last nine, and that's a bad situation, to be honest. The Also... Uh, Real Madrid now is, is going to have even more trouble because Aslani has undergone surgery and she will be out until November. So that makes nine players of Real Madrid have been injured at the beginning of the season. That's mm. that's a point. So there is something to worry about and let's hope that we can solve the situation in the, in the next weeks. But I see it very complicated, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Nancy, let's try and give Alejandro some positive vibes here. I mean, do you think that there is something going on here that is quite serious? Or do you think maybe, you know, similar to Manchester City, even though, of course, they beat Manchester City, you know, do you think that these are maybe just some early season issues with, you know, like Alejandro touched on, injuries? They have had some tough games. There's light at the end of the tunnel, hopefully, right? Yeah, I think the the Man City game, I think the fact that they beat Man City does show what they are capable of and that they can win games. Um, potentially, maybe that match had a factor in it. Maybe, obviously, that's kind of a tough midweek game and then having the league at the weekends, that's quite a congested schedule. Um, so maybe that's kind of affected the, the league form. Um, but the fact that they did get that win potentially might suggest that it is early season issues and that they can turn it around soon but yeah I think it does have to happen kind of within the next few weeks. Yes it it probably does now of course um, in the week they are facing Real Sociedad and speaking of Sociedad Alejandra I may need your help with the pronunciation of this player's name. Um, She has been on the score sheet for Spain and her club May have to help me out, like I say, Amayor Sariegi? Yeah, it's correct, Amayor Sariegi. 
Thank you. That's not too bad. <laughs> now, she has been, you know, absolutely brilliant for club and country. Alejandro, when you look at goal scorers, players that you know you can rely on to find the back of the net, would you say at the moment that Spain as a nation arguably has the most talented list of these type of players? Because I was looking and there are a lot, aren't they? Absolutely, really. And that's one thing I was claiming for many years in the national team that we were lucky enough. And finally, we got a talented centre forward, a talented nine. And we have now top three strikers to choose, uh, not only Amayur Sarriegui, but also Jenny Hermoso and Esther González. They are both performing so well in the league and they both deserve to be in the national team. But I think there will be only one spot to start and I don't know which one of the three will be because Jenny Hermoso is doing now very well in Barca. Esther is doing is being the starter for Real Madrid and is doing quite well. Anna Mayor Sarriegui, she's the future. So really, that's the best news Spain can have now. I mean, you must be feeling, obviously, you know, there are still quite a few months before the Euros, but you must be feeling quite positive looking at that Spain team. Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. I, I can imagine I'm a bit jealous. Um, not that England have a bad team at all, but, you know, some of those names uh, would be great. Now, looking at this this game in the week, obviously we don't know what's going to happen at the moment, but Nancy, you know, is this a great way, you know, for, for Real to bounce back? Um, or could this maybe end up being a little bit of a painful game looking at Sociedad's form? Um, yeah, it could. I mean, it won't be an easy game. Mm. So it could be another loss for Madrid. Um, but I think if they beat a team who are in form, um, it'd be really good for the team's confidence. Yeah. So maybe kind of mark, it'd be that that point in the season where they turn things around. So it could go either way, but yeah, it won't be an easy game. It won't. And of course, uh, another pain in Real Madrid's side is that Barcelona have continued with their excellent form, as have Atletico Madrid, uh, you know, both teams unbeaten. Now, in just over a week, they will face each other in the league, a really big game. Alejandro, you know, hand on heart, truthfully, do you think we could see Barcelona slip here? And is this a good opportunity? You know, kind of similar for, um, you know, some of the games that we've seen in the Women's Super League, some of these big fixtures. Is this game a good opportunity for Atletico to really see, you know, how they perform and what their chances are of potentially trying to cause any kind of upset regarding this title? I think Atletico can make Barca suffer, really. They yeah. have a wonderful team. We are watching that they are uh, they have started the league on a perfect shape and they have uh, things to make Barca worry about. But finally, Barca will take probably the three points from Madrid. It's uh, it's so optimistic to think, to think that something can make shadow to Barca nowadays. And mm. for example, uh, the example, we saw it last weekend. Barca was struggling nil-nil versus Valencia in the first half uh, uh, in the, when it was arriving to the half an hour of the game. Mm. But in three minutes, Alexia came and made a hat-trick. So what can you do against that? Exactly. I mean, like you say, I think that it may be a bit more of a test for Barcelona than their normal fixtures. Um, I mean, we've seen, you know, what people would class as, you know, 
strange results or a few shocks here and there, you know, in, in the Women's Super League, maybe we'll see one in Spain, but like you say, I may just be being a little bit optimistic, but I can dream, I love a bit of an upset. Um, now, also unbeaten are Alaves. Now, Nancy, have you been impressed or do you think that this is maybe just down to the teams that they've been playing? I have been impressed. Like, obviously, it is um, kind of regardless of teams, it is still quite hard to have an unbeaten run. Um, but yeah, they've also got Barcelona seen as well. So obviously, that's going to be the real test mm. uh, to see where they're at against, well, the the best team in the world, really. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to see see the result from that game. Yeah, it will be an interesting one. Um, and yeah, good to see that it's not just Barcelona that are unbeaten at the moment in the league. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens moving forward. Meanwhile, I'm actually going to head to Scotland now as the biggest ever crowd for a women's club game in Scotland will be happening on Wednesday in the Edinburgh Derby between Hibs and Hearts at Easter Road. So according to reports, over 6,000 free tickets for the Scottish Women's Premier League game have been claimed within five days of them being made available. The club are yet to indicate if more tickets will be made available um, because the the stadium's capacity is about 20,000. The current record crowd is 3,123, which was set two years ago in the Scottish Women's Cup final between Hibs and Glasgow City at Tynecastle. Alejandro, 6,000 tickets. This is a huge moment in women's football in Scotland, isn't it? Uh, for sure it is, really. Uh, we are we are watching that the seed, that Glasgow City started to grow, and it was, uh, we saw it internationally in Europe, is giving fruits now. And that's, that's also because of the success of the Scotland national team. They went to a World Cup. They were a team that they were fighting until the last minute to get qualified for the Euros. And and now the new campaign for the World Cup they have started with on a, on a good on a good shape, and this is another step. That's that makes it, that makes it wonderful for the sports so they can develop on such a good uh, on such a good way there. It it really is, and it's great to see so much interest, and I just hope it continues. Now, of course. Um, this comes, you know, for Hibs after they just lost out on a draw against Celtic. It was Charlie Wellings' 91st minute goal that earned um, the home team the win, um, that continued their unbeaten start to the domestic season and knocked Hibs off the summit of the Scottish Women's Premier League. Now, of course, Glasgow City is still at the top of the table, but Celtic did manage to hold them to a 2-2 draw earlier in September. Now, in their last three games last season, Nancy, against Glasgow City, it was a nil-nil draw and two losses. So, so far, so good for Celtic. And do you think it's fair to say that Fran Alonso's team, you know, have, have shown that they've improved so far? Yeah, I, I definitely. Um, I mean, with the Hibs game, they might obviously be a bit lucky with the last-minute winner. Mm. Um, I mean, that could have been a draw. But then still comparing um, their start to last season which like you said two losses and a nil-nil draw they've already done a lot better than that um I think it just shows as well how competitive Scottish women's football is becoming um you know there's there's a lot of teams in the mix um now it's not kind of just dominated by one or two teams so um yeah I think it's really great to see Celtic um starting off the season strongly yeah, exactly. And, you know, seeing these these big names in Scottish football, you know, that people that maybe, 
you know, are, are just new to the to the game, you know, seeing a name like Celtic, like Rangers, etc., seeing them doing well, I think, you know, is always a good thing for the game. Now, talking about Fran Alonso, um, he's not the only Spanish coach, as Eva Olid is the new manager for Hearts. She hasn't had the best start, we'll be honest, but it's all right, we move. Um, she most recently spent 14 months as the head coach at the Catalan Football Association. She's coached in the USA as well. Um, and she's spoken about wanting to blend some aspects of, you know, her Spanish background and Spanish football into her game. Alejandro, for you, is it nice to see this gradual, you know, overseas mix that we are starting to see of coaches making these kind of moves? As for the game overall, it's really good to see, isn't it? For sure, really having a foreign coach in a, in a, in a league are the best news for the development of the competition. And I'm sure we'll see more foreigners coaching in the top leagues in Europe. I can tell you, the case of Spain, we are watching how the Spanish coaches, they are very well respected all over the world and they are coaching in, in everywhere. For example, we have the case of Maria Pri after last wonderful season with, Le with Levante. She's in Chile now. Doña is that she went to Mexico after winning a, a, a under-17 World Cup with Spain. Also, and Milagros Martinez, that she did some quite wonderful seasons in Albacete. She, she swapped to coach men's football in Japan. So that means how the how how the women's the women's football and women's coaches they are taking into the game. They are jumping into the game, and it's wonderful for the development. It is, and it's it's great to see as well because you know, like, like you said, Dante, it's good to see. Um, you know, Scottish women's football becoming so competitive. And I think sometimes Scotland definitely, you know, it, it gets forgotten about a little bit, which always is quite frustrating. And I think to see, you know, some more international coaches in the mix can only be a good thing. And, and yeah, it is great to see. Now, meanwhile, we haven't seen too much of Rangers due to the pandemic, international fixtures, etc. So they are a few games in hand. Nancy, do you think that this could affect them regarding the pressure being on to keep up with the rest of the pack? Because as we saw last season, you know, it can get tight and it can be quite easy to slip off. Yeah, I think it, it makes things a bit disjointed, doesn't it? When you you don't have kind of like a run of games mm. um, and it's quite hard to continue, like build form and continue good form. Um, but at the same time, I suppose they will know what they have to do to get to, you know, the top of the table or, you know, they know they have to beat a team by a certain amount or a draw will be good enough. So I suppose it, it's quite beneficial in that way in that they know what they have to do. But yeah, that that does come with the added pressure of, you know, maybe maybe they slip up and then, yeah, like you said, they've got, they're kind of chasing, chasing the pack. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether it does impact them at all. Yeah, it will. And, you know, meanwhile, we've touched on Glasgow City. For them, it's pretty much been business as usual. Alejandro, do you think that this just shows the talent that this team has? As despite losing their manager of six years, which I guess in like modern football is is quite a while, really. Um, But the fact that they've still managed to get off to a good start with, you know, just 11 goals already. Absolutely, really. Glasgow City has been dominating Scotland in the last season and they know how to play. Uh, also, that a good thing is that they have adapted to the departure of the last coach and they are trying to make a path with the new one and they are starting on a good way and they are not paying the toll that sometimes it is paid that when it comes a new coach, you need some time to adapt to the new systems and the new staff. And this, it looks like this time they are, they are doing quite decently. 
Yeah, and you know what? Best of luck to all the teams in the Scottish Women's Premier League. And I just hope it continues to stay as competitive as it clearly is doing now. Elsewhere, one final topic I thought we would discuss. Last week, the news did break that UEFA has doubled the prize money available to teams for the Women's European Championships taking place next summer in 2022. So the 16 qualified teams will now share 16 million euros, which is double the 8 million euros that was distributed at Euro 2017 in the Netherlands. Quite a big controversial topic here. Not controversial in the fact that should they get the money, because obviously they should, but, you know, regarding, you know, certain people's opinions on it. But, Nancy, what is your initial reaction to this? Um, Initial reaction, I think, was definitely positive um, because, obviously, UEFA have seen, well, that, you know, the the prize money is maybe lower than it should be and they've seen the value in in doubling the prize money. Um, And then I think, yeah it maybe soured a little bit when kind of everyone made the point that even though the prize money had doubled, which sounds really, really, you know, um, kind of impressive compared to the the prize pot for the men's euros, it was uh, significantly lower. Um, yeah. And I mean, I don't really think that you necessarily want the prize money to be the same as the men's because it's so, it's almost, you know, the hundreds of millions of pounds that are available for the men's is quite like a, you know maybe a bit too grotesque uh in terms of just so much money but i think it's just the difference between the women's and the men's tournaments is so big um that yeah when i kind of realized that i it probably took the shine off the news a little bit yeah i mean like you say when you hear the word doubled you think oh doubled that's good and then when you actually look at the amount of money it is frustrating now you touched nancy on the the prize money for the men the total prize money at the men's Euro 2020 tournament was 371 million euros distributed between 24 teams. So we've got 16 million euros for 16 teams in the women's Euros, 371 million euros for 24 team, uh, teams in the men's Euros. Alejandro, considering this, I mean, it's understandable why people are not happy as it is still an extremely colossal gap. It's totally understandable, really. Increasing the price money is good, I don't deny it, but it's not enough. The gap is huge and it's still there and needs to be tightened as much as they can. Uh, 16 million euro, the, the total pr- price money that they will be, it will be given in the next woman's euro, should be an amount that must be increased in the next years. And it's time that the words from Cheferin, uh, the president of UEFA, he's, he was saying everything about Football is for the fans. We want to develop a more inclusive football, blah, 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 blah. All these comments become real facts and not these words that they are taken by the wind. I completely agree. I mean, UEFA has made this change as part of its women's football strategy titled Time for Action. Um, Now, this is intended to ensure more money is distributed across the women's game. UEFA's executive committee approved the increase in prize money for the women's event on Wednesday last week, along with a new distribution model to include performance-based bonuses for the group stage. Now, the governing body has also approved a plan that will make €4.5 million available to European clubs as a reward for releasing their players for the tournament. How big of them? I'm joking. (laughs) Now, former England manager Hope Powell 
She, of course, led the Lionesses to the Euro 2009 final. She's kind of said that the improved prize fund should actually be celebrated. Of course, she acknowledges that it still needs to increase. But, you know, she's kind of said we should still applaud this. They do have to start somewhere and at least they are starting, even if it's not exactly what we want. Of course, people like Emma Hayes has come out and said it's not good enough. Nancy, do you feel like there should be some credit to UEFA or is it that they simply, yeah, great, but it's still not good enough? It's, a, I mean, it's a really tricky one. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it should, it should be celebrated in that it's doubled. But I, I think if, you know, if we, if too much credit is given to UEFA, then they'd probably kind of just sit back and be like, oh, yeah. you know, our work here is done, um, which I wouldn't really want to see happen. Um, so I, th- I think because of that, because you know, we we still want to push for, for for more increase and and you know, essentially just men and women's football given a fair balance I think yeah giving UEFA credit would, would for essentially kind of doing the bare minimum um I think it, it would probably be a bit you know a bit uh too nice <laughs> of us to, to to yeah to be really thankful to them yeah exactly and you know the fact that it's taken them you could argue you know until you know, it having more coverage on television, seeing, you know, the numbers that have come out of the Women's Super League as to how many people are tuning in, et cetera, et cetera. It, you know, has that played a role? Why has it taken so long? You can still understand people's frustrations. Now, of course, it is England that will host the tournament at 10 stadiums for pretty much the month of July next year. And earlier this year, the Football Association did announce plans to sell a record 700,000 tickets, with the tournament set to be the biggest women's European sport event ever. Very exciting um, that this is happening in England. Very exciting that, you know, some big stadiums are going to be used. Um, I'll, I'll ask you both, but I'll start with you, Alejandro. Do you think that there's a lot of pressure on England from the women's football community that this has to go perfectly because this is a perfect opportunity to really maybe send a message to UEFA? I think there's a lot of pressure because England, apart of having a golden generation national team, having a wonderful a bunch of players that they can that they will have a squad to get the title at home. It's the, it's where football was born and everything that it's organized by them, it will be seen with many eyes. But I'm sure England will organize a, a wonderful tournament. We are seeing that we will have, for example, the opening the opening game in Old Trafford. Also venues, for example, like Brighton, Sheffield, they will host important games and the final in Wembley. I think, I'm sure England, they will organize a wonderful tournament and in a perfect way. And also it will be a wonderful time for England to to erase that image, that shameful image from the last mm-hmm. Euro that uh, where we saw all these riots against the police, all the fans running uh, with no, no direction, jumping into the stadium. I think the environment of women's football uh, will give some fresh air to, to football in England to, totally. I I agree. I really do hope that it does help to eradicate, um, you know, the the sights that we saw at the Euros, you know, earlier on in the year. Nancy, you know, what's your take on this? Do you feel like, um, you know, the the pressure's on? England have got to do, you know, as a country, you know, we've got to do a good job with uh, with the Euros. Yeah, and I think the pressure's on not not even just to UEFA, but kind of just the whole, you know, just promoting women's football because I think when a tournament is done really well, it helps so much in the country itself, I think, mainly. 
Uh, it just helps so much raise the interest in women's football and get pe- people going to games and people like, you know, going to the league afterwards and still watching on TV. Um, and then with the rest of the world as well, you know, it's it's these big tournaments that really kind of puts women's football on the map. So, yeah, you know, if the tournament isn't organised very well or if, if it's a bit of a shambles or like, I really, I mean, I hope we don't have a repeat of what happened with the men's final, but something like that, which taints it, it can give, you know, something a negative image. So I think there's a lot of, of pressure, yeah, to, to prove to UEFA that it's something worth investing more in, but also to the rest of the country and, and the rest of the world, people that don't like women's football, that it's it's something that can be really enjoyable and it's definitely worth kind of maintaining an interest in. 100%. I mean, I'm sure women's football fans you know, all over have got our fingers crossed that this will be, you know, a brilliant event. I'm sure that it will be, um, you know, hopefully uh, things things do go to plan. It'd be great to see England win it, but um, maybe I'm being a little bit too optimistic with that one, especially since we were just talking about how brilliant Spain are as well, amongst others. Um, but yeah, definitely some interesting topics this week and it'll be interesting to see what happens with these midweek games and the weekend games and to see what is happening next week in the world of women's football. So that is it for today's One Football Women's Football Podcast. As always, a big, big thank you to my guests, to Alejandro and Nancy for joining me and to all of you for listening. As always, if you want to get in touch, it is podcast at onefootball.com and make sure that you check out Apple Music, Spotify, etc. to hear more from One Football. Oh, 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 oh